1: Across the UK, online
2: and on DAB. (laughs) Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio.
3: Fembot can go to hell.
2: Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power.
1: Underwear, armpit, hair, many imitators but no one compares.
2: Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three
4: welcome to the badass women's hour three women one hour all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on talk radio i'm harriet minter and i'm joined by my co-hosts natalie campbell and emma sexton and we'll be here with you for the next hour looking at the news that's really caught our attention this week including female journalists and why they're not being properly represented and the return of sarah connor can she beat the Terminator this time? I actually don't know. I haven't seen the films. And that's <gasps> going to tell me. So it's OK. That's going to tell me what happened. Me neither. <laughs> oh, but gosh. we're kicking off with, as ever, the stories that we're most interested in this week. Emma, what has caught your eye? Well, this one is really
5: like, I have a strong emotional reaction to this. Basically, a quarter of 14-year-old girls have signs of depression. So the government has done a study of over 10,000 young people uh, looking at how many of them experience signs of depression. And a quarter of girls, but only nearly one in 10 boys, I think the stats were something like 24% of girls, 8% of boys, uh, show signs of depression at the age of 14. And it just really upset me because I was like, God, 13, 14, and just girls experiencing this more than boys. And it just got my brain going, like, why is this?
4: Why There is a huge discrepancy between the number of girls that it affects and the number of boys. Do you think it's what they're asking to identify as signs of depression or do you think it's what girls are experiencing in their daily lives? What do you think could be causing it?
5: I don't know. I think it's really tricky when these studies come out because, you know, you don't necessarily know what all the threads are. But for me, this is like a really red alarm bell because if you're twelve or thirteen now and the we've got this disparity between girls and boys in the way they're experiencing depression, what's gonna happen in another ten years from now when they are like seventeen, eighteen? Mm. They're the next generation coming through. So for me I'm like, can we not just put out a study? Can we like can we dig deeper into this? Because that's, that's just really too ridiculous. much of a higher statistic for me. That's too much of an imbalance and
4: Yeah. Nat, you've worked with kind of young teenage girls. What do you think what do you think is the pressure on them? What causes this kind of worry and fear?
6: Well, I think, you know, we all remember being 13, 14, 15, and you're just, your mind is so open to the world and the negative things going on in the world, whether it be that war... Um, or, or politics, but right through to the bust ups that you're having with your friends. And, you know, your friendship groups probably mean everything to you. So falling out on a Monday and thinking this person that is, is your everything is never going to be your friend, that weighs heavy. Add on top of that social media where other people then might be talking about you. It's you almost can't even go home and escape and go back to school and sort it out because you go home and that whole conversation or non-conversation is still swirling on social media. And I feel like maybe they're just bombarded with so much stuff that they... Can't necessarily process all of the emotion that they are being left with, and so I I wonder what what is the intervention? How are they being supported? I would hate to think that we're putting young children on um, medication when how we should be supporting them through CBT and, and giving with, them tools for life. Giving right? Giving them tools for life because it actually does not get any easier. Yeah. <laughs> no, mate. <laughs> Just to share you that wait till bombshell. you get to forty girls. <laughs> I'm telling you. In terms of the disparity <laughs> between boys and girls, I think it and and this is just my perception but maybe it comes down to parenting so my godson's um are very open and they'll say to their mum, Mum, I I just feel sad and she'll you know she'll say why and he'll be like, I don't know I just feel sad and, and instead of them being boisterous and acting out and you know maybe um going to the boisterous end they become much more introverted and they say I just need to be
4: by myself but that's quite that's the sort of strange flip on what we usually see when we talk Mm. about men and women's dynamics because we know one of the things that i thought was interesting about this survey was maybe that eight percent for boys is actually because they're not allowed to talk about their feelings so they have to be okay they have to be fine they have to everything has to be good because they have to keep it closed in because we don't actually create a culture which allows them to talk about it whereas for girls it's like tell me everything spill it out every feeling every emotion you've got throw it out on the table. Emma?
5: There were some interesting dimensions to this study though in terms of background and heritage they were saying that girls from mixed or white ethnic backgrounds are the most likely to report high depressive symptoms but black African girls were least likely to report highly depressive symptoms at this age Because you're not allowed to be
6: depressed, that's why right because what you'd be told thing? yeah what you'd be told is oh you're depressed are you, are you paying bills <laughs> do you have to put food in the fridge I'm laughing it's not do you, have, but, you know, right. but seriously yeah. this is it like you don't have to do anything why are you depressed right. all you need to do is study go and read a book I remember saying all the time I was, you know I'm, I'm bored or, go and read a book right. so you just didn't even communicating this was not even it was interesting. a no so there's a cultural dimension exactly. there exactly and
4: that's a really interesting thing, which is actually when we're allowed to express it what can we show and why it's fascinating do you have young children boys girls do they express their emotions differently tweet us and tell us because we want to know what's behind this study and we'd love to hear your experiences at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour uh so our second story this week is looking at women in media and this comes from uh, five years ago in 2012 women in journalism which is a kind of organization group campaigning group did a big study that looked at the number of female bylines in newspapers and it was you can imagine pretty depressing um five years later Still really depressing. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> only 22% of national newspaper front page stories were written by women. Uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. you look at the Daily Mail
5: front covers like.
4: No, they're not. But, you know, the Daily Mail is a paper aimed at women, right? The majority of the Daily Mail's readers are women so why are there so few bylines um and what they showed is that the worst is the daily mirror unsurprisingly it's definitely not interested in talking to women only nine percent um but the evening standard evening standard which i think of as quite a kind of female paper only 15 percent of front page bylines written by women Mm. now why do you think that is is it is it still just an old boys club
6: i think not just the the old boys club but i also think the process that you have to go through, A, to get a byline and then B, to get on the front page, mm-hmm. it comes back to, um, I guess, what the editor perceives to be a strong investigative journalistic type approach. And, you know, the, the people that get sent out on those are usually the the, the male leads. So if we think about, you know, who who are the political editors? Who are the city editors? Who are the financial editors? Who are the business editors? There aren't that many women. There are women, don't get me wrong, but there aren't that many women. And even where we have female editors leading a paper, so the weekend papers, let's say the FT from um, uh, Alice Fishburne, I think her name is, we're still not seeing that translated to who gets the big stories on the first page, second or third
4: so one thing that is interesting in this is that the Guardian, which has a female editor, and um, also has um, one of the first things that Kath Viner, the female editor of the Guardian, did when she arrived was she appointed a new political editor. And rather than just employing one person, she employed two women on a job share. And it actually, the Guardian has the most female bylines on the front page forty three percent. well done, Guardian. So actually, still not fifty one. Still not fifty one, but it is a <laughs> that big
6: means shift good enough. Sixty. And it does
4: kind of show that when you put women in those positions, does it flip the numbers? Is that all we need? Do we just need to kind of start engineering some women in senior positions? Emma? Yeah, I like quotas just to get people
5: there. It just really annoys me. Oh, well, I think everybody should be there because they're good at their jobs. That's just implying that everybody there already is good at their jobs. Just put the women there. Can we just stop mucking around? I'm bored. <laughs> really bored now.
4: <laughs> I agree. I have uh, a load of unofficial quotas going on, people. <laughs> Make it official. Uh, and then our final story of this week. Nat, what have you got?
6: Well, see, you broke my heart when you start when you did the intro <laughs> on this and both of you shared that you've never seen terminator
5: i'm
4: the worst at movies the worst
6: you've never seen terminator oh i
5: think i
4: have but i probably fell asleep or i was
5: multitasking
4: like i've never seen it and i'll tell you what's interesting is there's actually another story that we were looking at talking about and we didn't say which is about reports from girl guiding um showing that at the age of seven girls think there is things that girls do and things that boys do and i remember really really clearly being probably like 10 or 11 and knowing that Terminator was a boys film and therefore it was not for me. Yeah. Mm. Oh no. And maybe I've missed out on a piece of Arnold Schwarzenegger genius. I don't know. Anyway.
5: No,
6: you've missed out on a piece of Sarah Connor genius.
5: <laughs> <laughs> i remember um, Sarah Connor. I just remember her being very masculine and not identifying with her.
6: Fair enough. Well, I fully identified (laughs) with her.
5: Uh, And so the news
6: is is that there's going to be a reboot of Terminator. It will be Terminator 6. And within this reboot, they are bringing back Sarah Connor um, to anchor the story. And this really resonated with me, A, because she's in her 50s and she's coming back to be fully badass as she was when the, the whole franchise first launched. But it's not often that we're seeing women like her you know leading these stories anymore typically you know if we think about wonder woman or or, or the others it's you know that they're younger models and just to say they are going to also cast an 18 year old young woman as the sort of the centerpiece yeah Yeah, it's the eye candy it's james cameron you know i'm just going to put that to bed they got any boy candy i'm sure they will they will. I mean, honest, honest. niggas what seventy something now. He's yeah, like they're surely old. not bringing back honest. Yeah, he's not going to be running. No, he's he's in it too. Oh, okay, yeah, he is. They're both coming back. But what what I really enjoyed about this was she was a heroine from my youth. So before Wonder Woman, before everything we were talking about in recent times, I found her to be strong. I found the story of her you know, save it or, or the world being saved through her son. I connected in so many levels. She was both maternal, but also the, my first proper badass.
4: So the thing that I really like about it, and you touched on this, is that they are not rebooting it and she's still in her 30s. No. She's in her 50s. And when you think about the number of men who have become kind of action heroes in later life, hello Liam Neeson. Um, <laughs> but we never see that for women. Mm. Right, Women over kind of 35, that's it, you're done. So I'm super excited that we're going to see it. Woman- Will you watch it now? In her 50s. Maybe. I mean, I'm kind of confused because I only thought there were three Terminator films. This is Terminator 6. And I don't know if I've got the time to catch up. I didn't Can... even know there was more than one. <laughs> Goodness. If you did know, we're really sorry. We're sorry. But that, that is is ashamed on our behalf. But I'm yes. going to watch it now because we've had
5: this conversation. Good. <laughs> I'm going to watch number one. Just, just watch, just watch no, the first one. one. I'm going to do it
6: this weekend. And you will be very impressed with how, for me, how she presents herself as the centerpiece of the story as as the main protagonist and how she takes on men but not in my mind she's not painted with a male gaze
4: yeah okay well if you have watched it and you think it's a true feminist film that we have missed do tweet us and tell us at badass women's hour we want to know what did you think of it are you gonna be watching the new one and do you think we need more older female heroes yes yes Uh, because we do have a female hero coming in (laughs) oh
0: yeah (laughs)
4: <laughs> so we have the amazing Cindy Gallup, entrepreneur, activist, badass extraordinaire, oh, gonna and we're going to be fangirl, talking... going to be embarrassing. Is, We're going to fangirl a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be talking business, we're going to be talking boys, and we're definitely going to be talking porn. I'm really excited for it. Coming up next.
2: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
4: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are also very excited that we are joined by advertising consultant, the founder of If We Ran the World and Make Love Not Born, Cindy Gallup. Hello, Woo!
0: Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> Thrilled to be here.
4: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so we are all big, big fans, but for people who don't know you and don't know what you do tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it because I think that's particularly interesting
7: sure. so um, my background is over 30 years working in brand building marketing and advertising um, these days I'm an entrepreneur um, I have two startups if we ran the world which is my attempt to redesign the future of business mm. and make love not porn which is my attempt to redesign the future of sex um, alongside think? those I work as a consultant only for clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector, um, you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. Nice. And so I sum up my consultancy approach as: I like to blow shit up. Woo! I'm the Michael Bay of business. <laughs>
4: yeah. Fantastic! I love it. So, thirty years in advertising, and now an entrepreneur. What made you decide to embrace entrepreneurial life? What was the kickstarter for you?
7: Well, everything in my life and career has happened by complete and total accident. Mm -hmm. I've never consciously, intentionally planned anything. So, you know, starting my own businesses was also an accident. Um, I basically turned 45 back in 2005. Um, I had my very own personal midlife crisis. (laughs) uh, In the sense that I'd always thought of 45 as kind of a midlife point obviously by the way the happy assumption one lives to be 90 fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> um, but in the couple of years running up to it I'd always gone on your 45th birthday is the moment when you should pause take stock reflect and review where have I been where am I going so on February 1 2005 I duly did that and that was the point at which I went oh my god I've just worked 16 years for the same advertising agency wow. <laughs> wonderful agency love them to death Bartle Bogle Hegarty, BBH you know cannot say enough nice things about them but I went, wow, you know, maybe it's time to do something different. And then the problem was I hadn't the faintest idea what, and so vast amounts of thought and angsting ensued. And eventually I went, if I want to review every possible option open to me for what is effectively the second half of my life, maybe the best thing to do is to put myself on the market very publicly and go, okay guys, here I am, what do you got? Mm-hmm. And see what comes. So I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH New York in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to. Wow. And it was the best bloody thing I ever <laughs> done. <laughs> so um, everything else kind of transpired after that accidentally. And I could not be more evangelical about working for yourself. And it's what I encourage every woman to aim to do ultimately.
6: Um, in ter- I was going to say, in terms of the leap... At the moment when you said, right, I am stepping down from this role and a role that probably gave you an identity. Uh, that's ooh, who people ooh. knew that people ooh. knew who you were. How did you then put yourself out on the market and maintain, I guess, a sense of sanity? Because I'm, I'm sure there must be moments where you're like, oh, have I, have I made the right decision? Is this the right thing? How how do I put myself out there? How do I create a new
7: identity when I'm not sure what that identity is going to be? Sure. No, um, th- that's a great question because... Um, when I when I decided to leave my job in the corporate advertising world, um, I was very sanguine about it. I went, okay, um, fact of life, there are going to be a lot of people who will not want to associate with me now that I am no longer in a powerful role. You know, I'm no longer the CEO of BBH New York, um, and that's and that's totally fine. I accept that. I'm probably going to be asked to step down from boards, and. and and actually, the really wonderful thing, um, first of all, about about uh, leaving BBH was that that did not happen. Mm. I realized that people actually liked me for me um, mm. and, and they wanted me to carry on in my advisory positions and they invited me to industry events. And, and, and that, I was totally prepared for that not to be the case, but I was very touched that, that it was. Um, the second thing I'll say to that is that um, I was um, I was talking to a friend of mine about the exploratory that I then went on, because um, I was very lucky. Lots of things did indeed come to me that I would never have thought of. And I went, OK, still don't know what I want to do. I'm going to be employment slut. I'm going to talk to everybody. <laughs> I'm going to take every meeting, every phone call, no preconceived notions. And so, um, you know, uh, I um, began exploring all these different options. And they were as good, by the way, for telling me what I didn't want to do as what I did want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would come out of, of an interview or a meeting. I'd go, OK, now I know in 50 million years. Never wanted that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I was telling a friend about this. And I was saying, so, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is I do next, I know that here are all the things that need to be in place. And, and I ticked off a list. And she went, oh, 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 Cindy, you've forgotten one. And I went, oh, I have. What's that? And she went, Status. You know, your next thing needs to, like, have you on an equal state. And I, I thought that was so interesting um, because I said to her, no, I don't care about that at all. I, I have confidence that whatever I do next, even if it's starting at the complete bottom of, you know, w- w- whatever other area of work or life it is, you know, I reckon I can make my way in it just fine. Mm. And, and, and so I really didn't care about any of that at all. And I was really happy to completely reinvent myself
4: um, from scratch all over again. And what's interesting is you did really have this big reinvention. So I remember watching your TED talk a few years ago, which is amazing, because it's all about essentially reinventing sex and how we talk about it. What was it like to go from being CEO of BBH advertising, you know, even though it's advertising it's still corporate, it's still business, to actually being like, I'm going to talk about the one thing that we don't talk about. What was people's responses to that? Well,
7: you know, I mean, first of all, I never thought about it like that because, yeah. again, it was a very organic process. Make love, yeah. not porn, happened because I date younger men. Yeah. You know, realised that porn was becoming default sex ed. Decided something about it. Um, had no idea that my TED talk would have the impact it did back in two thousand nine. Um, but, but I think what's interesting is that um, I I bring to that whole dialogue um, a level of credibility because of my business background. And and while, you know, on on the one hand, there absolutely are scenarios where, you know, my speaking agents have told me that they will book me for a corporate gig. And then, you know, the the booker at the other end will go, oh, my God, she's got this <laughs> thing for me. And a you know? um, which is ridiculous, by the way, because I know the audience is gagging to hear about <laughs> it. Um, but um, But more often than not, I cannot tell you the number of business meetings or phone calls I've taken where the very first thing the other person says to me is, by the way, I really love your TED talk. Um, and, and and when I talk about Make Love Not Porn, the business I've turned it into since, um, I talk about it as an example of all my own business philosophies and points of view, and people see it as a business case study. I gave a talk on the future of porn at South by Southwest um, in, in the US a few years ago. And um, a friend of mine told me that somebody in the ad industry came out of that talk and said to him, that was not a talk about porn that was a talk about business and mm. and and he was absolutely right because all the principles of business innovation that i espouse i'm doing myself in my own work and so it, it it it's been it's been very seamless actually
4: interesting what do you think the future is because when we look at it now it's all vr and um you know people making as human as possible sex dolls which i find a little kind of sad. do you think that's where it's going or is it becoming more humanized
7: oh so um so, so you've you've gone right to the heart of one of my
4: <laughs> huge bugbears
7: um and that's because um so i um i began trying to raise just 2 million dollars to scale make love not porn uh, yep. 3 years ago i had enormous challenges doing that and so I set out deliberately to define, pioneer, and champion my own category, sex tech, Mm. in order to create a climate of receptivity for investors to understand this is the next big thing in tech. And it is really indicative of everything that that I'm combating. Um, Everything I'm doing to make love, not porn and sex tech boils down to challenging the fact we do not talk about sex. And because we do not talk about sex, we are enormously narrow-minded about it. And so... People think when I say sex tech, they can only think of two things, sex toys and sex robots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I cannot tell you how sick I am of being interviewed about sex robots. Um, In fact, literally, just before I walked into this studio, I have yet another request to participate in a documentary where they want to talk to me about sex robots. And (laughs) sex tech, we have not even begun to see what technology designed to innovate, disrupt, and enhance in the area of human sexuality and human ex- sexual experience can do. And so um, I, I see a future which is far bigger, and to be frank, more visionary than the very narrow-minded one people are spelling out in any coverage of sex tech Amazing. right now, simply because we're not encouraged to think that way. Yeah. you know. And, and when you... I mean, I talk about Make Love Not Porn as the social sex revolution. Yeah. The revolution part is not the sex, it's the social I'm out to socialize and normalize all of this, and when you do that, the possibilities are quite literally endless. and so i'm I'm trying to get the world to see that. Um, and by the way, I'm dying to raise the funding I need because the moment I do I can stop talking I, I am dying for you to raise the funding you need yeah. too because I have to explain all of this verbally now and the moment I can operate at scale it'll be self-evident I really feel like Cindy I'm
5: going to fangirl you a bit because I've uh, you've been on my radar for probably about ten years now and you know I, I know you're very vocal about your struggles now to get this funding for Make Love Not Porn and I really see you as like ten years ahead of your game and you're really forging a path and I want to thank you because you are you are forging a path that is allowing other women to come up behind you and be vocal and I feel like mm. you're one of the very few people who are talking and being really vocal calling out the advertising industry and I just feel like you're the one that the, the brunt of the you're at the front line <laughs> and you're getting all the shots and you're having the struggle for funding but I just want to say that your hard work is paying off because I can see the impact that you're having and you are opening up the conversation and opening up opportunities for other women. I want to thank you on behalf of a lot of fangirls.
7: <laughs> um, Emma, thank you so much because it's hearing things like that that make it all worthwhile. I enormously appreciate that. Um, I have to say it's, it's a very good thing that the single dynamic that most motivates me that, that will most make me absolutely persevere and keep pushing is the one that I characterise as I'm going to fucking well show you. Yeah. <laughs> you tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. You know, you can also pass I'm going to fucking well show you. And so I take all of those challenges and frustration and channel them into motivation and inspiration because I have to. And also because I'm absolutely determined to
4: fucking well show you. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that attitude come from, do you think? That if you tell me I can't, I'm going to make it happen. Um, I mean, I think inherently there's part
7: of me that's always had that. Um, But but I think also, um, you know, at the age of 57, okay, doing everything I'm doing, I I see the extraordinary business potential. I see the extraordinary revenue and money-making potential. Um, I see the traction everything I'm doing has gained amongst, you know, wonderful women like you, Um, you know, a lot of people out there who write to me every day. Um, I know that none of this is me deluding myself. This is not finger-in-the-wind stuff. This isn't. This isn't me guessing, thinking. You know, I, I absolutely see how all of this can work, and and that also, you know, motivates me to demonstrate to the world that is the case.
6: Why do you think there is such a big brain barrier um, in industries around? moving towards this worldview so i read one of your quotes where you're talking about you know you have a group of men that are all the same in a room and you get superman versus batman you have women and people of color in a room and you get hamilton and the bottom line is a billion dollars i mean i mean it's just logic why why are they still so far away from understanding the benefits well you
7: know um there there are there are a vast number of different dynamics at play, but, but, but at, at its absolute heart is the fact that, um, and, and I can't remember who said this, but, but, they, but they, they put it perfectly for all the rest of us. When you are used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when at the top of every industry, every company is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys anything that that impinges on that feels threatening. In, in a way, it really shouldn't. And, you know, um, that's why, you know, one of my philosophies is communication through demonstration, because there's all this talk about diversity and gender equality and You know, people present rational facts and figures. Of course, we all know that diversity drives better business. But rationality gets you absolutely nowhere because the resistance is emotional. And so the only way to break through it is to, you know, find an emotional path through and return. And and to, as I say, communicate through demonstration. And so, you you know, I do regularly, fortuitously, meet... Um, men who get it. You know, I remember a couple of years ago at a tech conference uh, meeting a man who was the business partner of a female friend of mine. And um, it was the first I met him and talked to him. And he just waxed lyrical about how he'd been working in this particular area of tech. Um, He'd met my friend. You know, they would partnered up and, and he could not stop gushing about how she had made him see the business completely differently, how phenomenal she was, how where they were taking their, their joint business was amazing, all due to her. I mean, this was a man obviously secure enough in himself to be able to go, oh, my God, we could not yeah. be doing any of this without her. And that mindset is extraordinarily hard to encounter Mm. and and, and to really make happen in in any field where, to be frank, the patriarchy is extremely entrenched. And a lot of men's self-identity is wrapped up in not admitting that women are worth listening to, worth believing, you know, worth valuing, worth partnering up with, and and worth going into business with.
4: Hell yes, that is what we believe. (laughs) More men like that,
7: please.
4: we are lucky enough to have the amazing cindy Gallup in the studio with us today um she's gonna be staying in for our badass balls-ups giving us her wisdom on your problems as ever if you want our help you want our advice you can always tweet us at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour and we're going to be back with some answers to what to do when you've got a bit of sibling rivalry going on and how to manage the aggressive woman at the top
2: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
4: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster, and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minton. I'm joined by my co host, Emma Sexton, Natalie Campbell. And this week, we are also joined by entrepreneur, founder, woman extraordinaire, Cindy (laughs) (laughs) Gallup. So it's that time of our show where we use our combined wisdom over 100 years of mistakes made and lessons that we didn't really learn to try and help you with your problems. It's our badass balls ups. Um, Um, and this week we have got three all quite different I think but Ems you are up first what's yours?
5: Yeah so this one came in via Facebook from um, Faith she said my sister has always been more successful than me she earns more has got further in her career and has just bought her own house while I'm still flat sharing and trying to make ends meet I've always been a little jealous but accepted that we're different people with different lives however recently I find myself getting more and more annoyed when I hear from my parents how well she's doing or why I haven't managed to achieve the same things it's getting to the point where I don't want to spend time with my family because they make me feel like a failure. What do I do?
4: Oh, oh Faith, no. that's so sad. Yeah. It's really different. I don't. So, Em's, um, so you've got a sister. Yeah. Nat, you've got brothers. I've got a sister as well. Your sister as well. Ten-year-old. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. see Yeah. Little sister. Cindy, brothers oh, and sisters. I've got three sisters. Three sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find within your family do you get competitive with each other?
7: Um, we uh, we used to when we were younger, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but these days we all do completely different things. Yeah. Um, and and so uh, you know, actually, my my response to faith, um, because I totally know how that feels, you know, from yeah. from my younger days. My response to her would be, quite honestly, sit your family down and say that to them. Sit your sister down one on one and say to her, I feel really jealous of how you're doing. I feel that. Uh, sit your parents down and say when you talk about. And I say that because, first of all, um, when you say something out loud, it loses its power to Mm. upset you. Do you know what I mean? And then secondly, um, when you are completely honest with somebody, you know, I make the point that, I mean, honesty is enormously powerful because, quite frankly, so few people are. You know, telling the truth can be very endearing because so few people do. And so I would literally put that out in the open be very straightforward and say you know I know this is I mean you can say I know this is ridiculous but I just want you to know how I feel and see how they respond.
4: That's actually it's a great great point because I remember a few years ago I had a job. I used to work for the Guardian, and it's quite hard to do. It's quite hard to get a job there. But my mother, who bless her, is a committed Daily Mail reader, <laughs> was horrified—absolutely horrified—that I'd gone to work for the complete opposite of her political opinions. And, and she used to say the whole time, "She, oh, I don't know why you can't write for the Daily Mail." Time. I don't. I don't know why you've got to go and write for that lefty organisation. And it actually really, really hurt me. And then one day, I said to her, "I was like, well, she." every other mother out there would be thrilled (laughs) that their daughter had achieved this every other mother would be shouting it from the rooftops and i'm really hurt that you don't and she was a bit horrified but she's completely changed so she's really she's really says how how proud she is and you know she makes a real effort and i hadn't thought about that when we were talking about it's true actually if you tell them i think families want the best for you don't they not
6: Yeah, definitely. But I also think it goes back to the what does she want? So Faith, you you said she's bought her own house. Do you like where you live? Do you (laughs) want to buy your own house? Um, You know, do you you like your job? Do you want to do something different? Because if you don't, and you actually love what you're doing, then all of this, the the kind of anxiety is, is artificial, because you don't want her life.
4: Yeah that's really so true it's figuring, you know, where
6: are you sitting within your own self and actually if the jealousy is because you're not happy where you are then you need to change it yeah use it as motivation
4: I agree jealousy Good comes advice. when we don't know what we want I don't agree Nat you've got our next problem for today what is it yes
6: uh, so this one comes from Anna and she says I work for a super aggressive alpha female Every time she walks into a meeting, she takes it over, ignoring the agenda and not listening to anyone um, or or what anyone else wants. Our team has gone from happy and inclusive to miserable and secretive ever since she's joined. None of us like her style, but she's the boss. So what can we do? I really love my job. And until she joined, it was the best office to work for. It was the best office to work in and the best organization to work for. Do I have to leave just because I don't like my boss?
4: I think you do don't you like what can you do and you can look to move to a different team maybe if you live really love the organization is there a different team you could go and work for could you go and work for somebody different and um, the other thing i would say is look at how close she is to her boss hmm. because um you know we always forget that actually the more senior up you go generally the shorter your career span is so (laughs) people come in and move in and out quite quickly Mm. but yeah if you really hate her you can't you can't stick that out I don't think it's a good it's a good excuse to look for something else Cindy would you stay or would you go well um, first of all um, I would
7: advocate um what um, I advocate in response to the earlier problem which is I would absolutely sit down and talk to her about this Yeah, Uh, uh, and I would sit down and talk to her about it because um, if it can't be resolved then you absolutely should go Um, but again um, this isn't about you it's about her it's about her situation um, the context in which she's operating within the organisation and and again when you know if you sit her down and um in a very constructive way say you know we all want the same thing for the business we all want it to perform you know um you are interacting with us in this way, that's inhibiting a great performance that would in turn make you look good, and I'd really like to talk to you about it. And and see what she says. Because if it's about some huge pressure she's under, you know, some very difficult scenario, then there may be a way to kind of sort through that so that you can all, you know, align. And if she responds really badly, then that's a very clear indicator that there is no hope and, and you should get out. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes it's just
5: the awareness, right? You might not, you might not have, you know, the... the she may not have any awareness of how she's disrupting the team like you say she's got different pressures going on she has a different lens of where she's viewing the the team through but if you can see a clear shift that's been negative then that's a that's a really good basis for a conversation and that
4: would you talk to us
5: yeah but i would do it over <laughs> alcohol so, so i'd go so it, you know giving away my trade secrets here i'd get her absolutely
6: plastered and on the way to being plastered she'd release all of the things that were issues and you'd know about her whole life and all of her insecurities and all of her hang-ups and who within the organization she's scared of and doesn't like her and all this stuff and then then you know it's not you because it really probably is not you um but then you figure out how you then can then respond and deal with it but i would i would be direct and then i would figure out what i want to do next but if i loved my job i would find a way to stay
4: Mm, yeah it's okay stay or go we're we're a little Mm. bit conflicted but do let us know let us know what happens so our final problem I've got it this is from Shelley via Facebook Um, you can find us on Facebook at Badass Women's Hour we love to get your messages so please do come along follow us Um, she says my boyfriend and I have a great relationship but he recently confided in me that his best friend is cheating on his girlfriend I'm friends with the girl through both of them and I feel really bad for her it's also affecting mine and my partner's relationship, as I feel he should tell his friend to sort the situation out and stop this behaviour. Should I tell the girl?
7: <sighs> um, um, yeah. Cindy? No, 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 um, no, um, no um, that way madness lies. I mean, in, in this scenario, in whatever context, um, it's about their relationship. It's not about you. And even if you think you're doing the right thing, it's going to rebound very badly on on you and, and your own relationship.
4: Absolutely. Um, Shoot the messenger, right? Yeah. yeah, mm. yeah. No,
7: no, no, absolutely. Do not tell her. And you know I, I would say um with with your own boyfriend, you know um take the conversation kind of further than just the fact that his mate is cheating on his girlfriend because you know if um, if you f- if it's impacting your relationship in terms of how he's responding that there there are more values at stake mm. than simply this situation, and you should explore that more more widely as to as to you know why the two of you are differently aligned in this particular context. What about girl code mm. though? Shouldn't we tell girls? We've I, discussed this before. No, no. No no. D- uh, no. Uh, no, 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 no,
4: no, because she will not thank you for it. Exactly.
7: Okay.
3: She yeah.
4: won't, but I don't know I think there's something about girl code, which is, I think maybe not telling her, but there's definitely something which is about not supporting it. So like, yeah. I'm not having this other girl over to my house. I'm not going on double dates with yep. them. I'm not going to be in the room when they're talking about it. I don't want to know and if she came to me and said I think so and so has yeah then I'd be honest because at that point you're in a different conversation, right, Nat?
6: I'm I'm with you, but I would also be dropping some subliminals again so that after the wine would come out and I'd be like, So,
4: how are things going? Yeah. With, with you and
6: George yeah. going, mm, did you check his credit card yeah. statement lately? no yeah. oh, maybe you should. Yeah. You know, just, just saying it out there. No reason why I said that at all, but <laughs> that would be my approach.
4: Yeah, so basically don't say anything, but leave some really large hints. Like swipe his phone. Oh. Green grab semesters, that kind of a thing. Uh, so those are our badass balls-ups for this week. Thank you, Cindy, for your fantastic advice. Um, absolute pleasure. Thrilled to be on here. <laughs> We'd love to. Um, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Um, so you can follow
7: me on Twitter, at Cindy Gallup. Um, you can follow my Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash cindy.gallop. Um, you can follow at Make Love Not Porn on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page, Make Love Not Porn. And you can subscribe uh, to Make Love Not Porn. And, and, and please, yeah, go to makelovenotporn.com oh, and, and makelovenotporn.tv it- <laughs> and sign up and join and invest
3: us. In jo- invest. Join
7: the social so. sex revolution.
4: <laughs> well up for that. <laughs> um, coming up after this little break, we are going to be talking about our backdated badass, women from history that you really need to know about. And this one has the most fantastic name and is a poet. More after this break.
2: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
4: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And it's that time of our show where we talk about our backdated badass, a woman from history that you really need to know about. And this week's is brought to us by Jacqueline Goodley, founder and CEO of Salome. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi there. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, Who is your backdated badass this week?
3: So my backdated badass for this week is a woman called Radcliffe Hall. Great Um, name. Thanks. Yeah, it's a a good name, isn't it? Strong name.
4: (laughs) And what did she do?
3: So, um, Radcliffe Hall was an English poet and novelist of the Victorian era, but she was also um, a huge trailblazer for LGBT representation in literature, and some say even a pioneer of a cultural revolution. Um, Her writing completely changed the way that gender and sexual identities were represented in culture. And and from that, how people then went on to talk about and articulate their own sense of identity. And so particularly amongst the gay community, um, as she wrote about being um, a lesbian character. So uh, her most well-known and most controversial book is The Well of Loneliness, and that was published in 1928. Um, That book follows the journey of a young girl named Stephen Gordon, um, right the way through from troubled, troubled childhood to adolescence, and then as an independent woman in a lesbian relationship. Um, As a woman, uh, Stephen often experimented with wearing men's clothes and she expresses that she felt comfortable neither in men's or women's clothing. So obviously um, during the Victorian era when it was published this was a hugely groundbreaking character for Radcliffe to have written um, as the character essentially grappling with questions of masculinity within the female identity as well as transgender identity issues. Amazing. And
4: And what was the response to that?
3: Uh, it was uh, a difficult book uh, for the public to accept. And actually, um, that's why in 1928, it was put on trial under the Obscene Publications Act. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, it was um, it, it was just seen as not appropriate for society at the time and um, actually seen as propaganda to try and, um, you know, change people's perceptions of uh, sexual identity that at the time was not, um, was not considered appropriate, or um, that it should be even allowed to exist.
4: And how did Hall respond to this? What was her attitude towards it?
3: Yeah, so she, uh, she, I mean, she was definitely one that was setting out to break the mold. So as you can imagine, she wasn't, she wasn't about to break down. And in fact, before she even wrote the book, she said to her publisher, um, "You're going to need a, you know, I'm going to need a high degree of faith in you for this," because she knew what the reception would be. Um, she gathered essentially a, a group of high-profile writers, some of uh, including people like Virginia Woolf, um, to vouch her book, essentially, and turn up to the to the court case. Um, but still, unfortunately, because of how controversial it was to have a, fi- a figure like Stephen in it, it was still um, allowed to be published at that time. And, in fact, it wasn't until the 1950s, which is when it went into publication, and then it's really then that um, it was so groundbreaking in terms of portraying the lesbian character that it does
4: amazing and what was her personal life like
3: so she was an interesting character herself she mm-hmm. um she was came from an aristocratic family uh, but she went by the name of john uh, and she was very much an out lesbian um who dressed in men's clothes and there's some um quite interesting uh, portraits of her um uh, particularly with her girlfriend at the time who's in a kind of dress and heels and then Radcliffe Hall's picture next to her wearing a very masculine smoking jacket and a shirt and a tie and kind of constantly brandishing a cigar. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, yeah, definitely not one to shy away from, you know, the masculinity that she felt comfortable to display.
6: So I feel um, slightly stupid in that I've always thought Radcliffe Hall was a book i didn't realize it was a person <laughs> and an author, so I'm pleased that we are talking about her and I am now corrected yeah. um, but you know one of the things that that stands out to me is 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 her visual so this the visual of her in in a suit and I guess at that time it was deemed masculine clothing, but to me now actually that is it's high fashion that she exudes so much power and badass badassery, um to me in the in these images, and I feel like to do what she did at that time and excel in her career but also live proudly as who she was, there's something that, you know, it, it sort of hits me right in the heart. I kind of want to say well done and thank you because there are so many women that, because of
5: her, could be who 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 they are um, then and now. I found, uh, while researching for this, I found a really lovely article. You can go to Radcliffe Hall's grave in... Um... Uh, the western part of the Highgate Cemetery. So two ladies, Monica Still and Maria Maria Burrell, they spent years raising seven thousand pounds to basically have her tomb um like restored and uh, put together. So you can go and visit her in Highgate Cemetery.
4: Amazing. Happy oh. just Um and Jax, why for you has she why for you is she your backdated badass? Uh,
3: lots of reasons. I think um Natalie your point about how you know those how striking those pictures and images are of her um, I just think for a woman to be so confident in her masculinity mm-hmm. not even necessarily masculinity but however she feel com- feels confident to present herself and exactly. not be ashamed of that is incredible particularly then and um, also as um, a gay woman myself who went through you know that process of coming out and realizing that I was gay I know how important it is to have um, people write about it and talk about it and um, be role models when you're trying to, you know, take that identity on board for yourself. Mm. And in the Victorian era, obviously there wasn't TV, there wasn't social media, there wasn't there wasn't anything for people for people who would be have been in a similar situation to myself or Radcliffe Hall to connect with. And so by even trying to do that, okay, so that it wasn't published at the time in the end, but even trying to give that alternative voice and experience and putting that in the public domain For me that was a huge and very admirable and courageous thing to do
4: amazing well thank you so much for introducing us to her and bringing her on the show today thank you that's Jacqueline Goodley founder of Salome the magazine do check it out it's amazing and um, we're coming towards the end of our show now but as ever we like to leave you with a little something to think about in the coming days uh, an idea perhaps to live your life by it is our badass principle of the week and nat what is it this week
6: the badass principle this week is micro actions and this one sort of falls out of our pattern but it is inspired it yeah we <laughs> it was inspired by cindy and uh one of the things that she talked about was micro actions. What's one small thing that you can do each day in each moment to shift the dial, to make things different. And I think we can either take that personally. So if there's a goal that you're working towards, what are the micro steps that you can take? But also how do we, how do we challenge the, the system? How do we make things better for others using lots of micro actions?
4: Lovely. Mm. Emma, what are the micro actions you're going to be taking this week? So I have,
5: Lots of micro actions. I think I've learnt in my old age that micro actions are actually the secret to success Mm -hmm. and getting things and making things done. So whether you have a big vision that you want to get to, doing a little micro action every day that takes you a step closer, whether it's one tweet, one email, I don't know, can all builds up to be a a profound effect. And also if you just want to shift yourself or shift your behaviour, I don't know, maybe you want to change some of the things that you're doing because something's not working, micro actions are the the key to just you evolving and and moving closer to where you want to get to so yeah big fan of micro actions
4: (laughs) (laughs) so it's really weird so i'm actually i would say i'm not a natural fan of micro actions because i like things on a big scale so when i come up with an idea i want it to be really big and i can't see the small steps Mm. that you have to take to get there um, and so if somebody says to me, you don't have to do 100 things, you could just do one. I'm like, mm, it's
5: a bit boring. <laughs> boring. which one do you pick? <laughs> which one do you pick? Exactly. I could do all the things.
4: Um, but I have learned actually over time that sometimes you just have to start small if you want to get to the big things. Yeah. So I'm going to try and practice it this week. Practice the micro actions and see what the big result is at the end of the week. Um, and as ever if you want to keep up with us or if you want to tell us what your micro actions are this week what are you doing are there little things do you need some help with them You can always tweet us at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, or find us on Facebook or Instagram, all the socials. Or you can tweet me at Harriet Minter, Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. And Emma. At Emma Sexton. And of course, we'll be here again, same time, same place, next week, Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio.
2: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.